0: disenfranchised from everything well, i
1: fall up and i
0: fall down an american loser the day
2: i was born hello everybody welcome back to another episode of american loser it is the podcast that puts the spotlight firmly on second place we are here, as always, at a Shared Universe studio in Eatontown, New Jersey. Mike and Ming take great care of us. LP, who's in the building today?
0: Oh, we got the none, none other than Mike himself. The, 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 the kahuna's the boss kahuna of the kahuna.
2: Uh, also true. Yeah, the kahuna is not here today. He is um, He's out. He's on walkabout. He's eating, praying, and loving his way around the country. He's just trying to find his—he's trying to unleash his inner goddess. I think that's what it really is. <laughs> But uh, in studio here, our sound engineer, one of the owners of this fine company, uh, a guy I consider a friend of mine, Mike Zapsik. Thank you so much for coming out on a Sunday, sir. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Are you kidding me? This, how long have we been trying to get together? And uh, yeah. you, you've been asking me to be on your podcast. I said, you know what? April. April's a good month for me. <laughs> April sucked. All right. April was just a bad month for me because I'm a lying sack of shit. And uh, do we curse on this?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, fucking right, right. If you don't. It's NPR with F-bombs. There and you one go. Of,
1: one and of our listeners. It was just, uh, and here I am in August. It was an A month. I, I had it right a month, just yeah, the right. wrong one. <laughs> a so, couple, a couple months later, the, the
2: way this year's gone by, too, though, it's like everybody has kind of acknowledged that it was uh, it was April and then uh, May, June, July, August. So we're yeah. slowing it back down again here. It's brutal. You guys have been very busy, though. A lot of cool projects going on for you guys. We've got a lot
1: of cool projects going on here. We got a couple, and I have to talk to you about one, and I'm just going to tease this out to your listeners. I need your help. Your specific. <laughs> Skill set help. Uh-oh, uh, there's a toilet
2: with, backing up? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, it, it's a nuclear toilet. So yeah. Wet yeah. pickup aisle three. <laughs> yeah. No, I need uh, somebody to pump some unleaded gas into... This not leaded. I,
2: I can't do leaded anymore. <laughs> and then I had to upgrade the car, so... Yeah. So Things we will happen, talk man. afterwards. I'm excited. This is pretty cool here, so uh, I am stuck to get you. I want to have you and Ming on. We have one topic we set aside for you guys, because... Um, the problem I have with the podcast is I like – we have great guests that come in and fill in for my dad. But uh, it is more fun when you're here, LP. I enjoy having you around. Um, but you're a traveling man. Yeah, we, we, we were
0: seeing the sights. Uh, actually had to do some uh, on-site historical uh, research uh, down in Kentucky and had to visit my uncle Jim Beam and uh, a few of the others. Uh, Louisville, a lot of cool things in Louisville. Uh, uh, Memphis went down into Tennessee it was it was a good uh, good trip too bad i didn't know i could have given you my my kentucky colonel card no, and oh you really? could have
1: gotten 10 percent off any kfc <laughs>
0: <laughs> there you so you've been just like <laughs> clashing that there's the southern image there that uh excuse me gentlemen me. i believe
1: i want a six piece <laughs> that's
0: right
2: <laughs> extra extra crispy yeah he was down in foghorn leghorn country for sure yeah. um not for nothing though a lot of cool history out in kentucky um and I know you're actually a Kentucky Colonel, aren't you, Mike? Is that I am. Uh,
1: Brian Q Quinn and I are uh, both Kentucky Colonels. I'm an honorary, you know, the Commonwealth of Kentucky sent me this placard uh, signifying that I am a Kentucky Colonel. Whoa. I'm still searching for somebody to do my custom white suit. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. so. There you go. If you guys know of any Taylor you got to have now, the then? cane and the hat, too, though, to complete the ensemble. Why wouldn't I? And the monocle.
2: Yeah, yeah, white suit's more popular down south. Here, if you wanted to get a white suit, there's a tailor in Bay Ridge that worked with Travolta. That's pretty much the only way you're going to get it. <laughs> yeah, right. Travolta was his, his last and only customer. <laughs> uh, but uh, like we said, Kentucky is a fascinating place. And uh, I know you just got back from there. You and Mom went on a nice trip out there. I yep. love when you guys get to do that. But – Kentucky has a couple of big name personalities uh, and very important people that all grew up within uh, about a hundred miles of each other. Right. So, uh, technically, Kentucky is the birthplace of Abraham Lincoln.
0: Yes, okay. uh, he was born, uh, and then the family uh, quickly moved moved to, not quickly, but a few years later, the, the the family Lincoln's family moved to Indiana, and then later Illinois. So, but the birthplace of uh, our president
2: Abraham Lincoln was Kentucky. Okay. Now, uh, I always think it's interesting, too, because now just less than 100 miles away, all right, so uh, you got Lincoln, who's about to become possibly our most famous president of all time. I mean, people around the world, they know what he looks like. It's like a political Godzilla almost, you know. But uh, I thought it was interesting that now less than 100 miles away, also being born – out in Kentucky, which is, you know, a little bit of a frontier attitude. The, fr-
0: the frontier of Kentucky. Absolutely. Well, what a, was the c- frontier?
2: Is another guy who's going to go on to become president.
0: Yeah, and actually their birth dates are only a, uh, a year apart. So think they think were born 100 than, yeah. miles from one another and a year
2: um, in uh, separation from birth dates. Well, if, uh, I like to look at it this way. When uh, the founding fathers all got together and signed the Declaration of Independence, which is the greatest middle finger in the history of history, okay, they all signed this thing. And it's essentially uh, them documenting their own treason. So if it didn't work out for them, they were going to get rounded up, uh, jailed, fined, uh, executed. Oh, yeah. it, was, it was bad news, man. Now, um, luckily, it all worked out for those guys. Now, there's a, some guy about 100 years later or so mm. that's going to try a similar move. It doesn't quite pan out for him. We did say uh, that Kentucky had two presidents uh, that were born, uh, like we said, within 100 miles of each other, one being Abraham Lincoln, very fondly remembered. The other guy is this week's American loser, the president of the Confederate States of America. The uh, what? I guess it's the short-lived Confederate States of America when you think about it. But um, yeah, this week's American loser, Jefferson Davis. All right. Without further ado, here. Now, do they have signs for uh, his birthplace out in Kentucky, Dad? Because you told me there's a big ass monument for him.
0: There is a, a big, uh, big ass monument. That's that's not commemorating. That's commemorating his term. birthplace. Um, it's not. It's not listed in the uh, in the AAA uh, tour guide book, um, but uh, it, it is there. It's an obelisk, which is a long, a tall, pointy building. If you think of the Washington Monument, uh, that's what you have there. And actually, um, it was built to commemorate his birthplace, and very similar, you know, copying the Washington Monument. So I mean, it was the second tallest. Uh, obelisk in the world second only to the Washington Monument and in, when it was built at the time the, the feelings were well Washington was the first president of the United States so they got this big-ass monument in Washington DC uh, why shouldn't we have a big-ass monument to our first president of the Confederacy um, Jefferson Davis and yeah. it was really the, the tallest structure in all of Kentucky up until maybe 1970s. So, I mean, it's uh, like, I don't know, 350-some feet tall. So, it's not Sizeable. It's not
2: a, not a small potatoes kind of a thing. <laughs> well, um, not for that. I just want to get at one quick disclaimer on the episode here, too. So, what we like to do on the show, uh, I know, uh, Mike, I'm going to say you listen, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> I do. No, I, I I love you for it, too, man. It's um, But... Uh, what we want to do is that we like to go for the human interest part of the story here. And we're painting Jefferson Davis as a loser. In a lot of ways, he was. Now, he held some really controversial views that are, you know, you, you can't. It's So what we want to do with this story is we want to hold people's feet to the fire when they're completely wrong. But then we also want to allow for the human interest part of the story to breathe a little bit. So right off the bat here, I'm going to go ahead and say something, guys. I'm, you might not agree with me, Mike and Dad, but I personally am against slavery. OK? <laughs> wow. I'll let you guys do what you want.
1: you really I like. mean – Goddamn great that you make that stand right there. <laughs> wow. KP, I'm. you know
0: what? It, it took us a real big set of balls to come out with something like that, Kevin. Know, Humanitarian but... of the year. <laughs> you're I, right. I think it, right. I think you're
2: showing. I just feel like I have to lead from the front, guys. That's all of this, so. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, no, so what we're going to do there's a little – there's certain things in this story where we're going to try to – because I, I just want to tell the guy's story, and it's a fascinating story here. So – there are we're, we're not gonna sit here we're not this isn't a politi- we're not a political show all right we're a history show we're also really just a storytelling show and we're gonna go ahead and get this one out man because Jefferson Davis he lived in American experience all right the Davis family very well known and respected originally of Welsh descent so you know you can't trust them uh, the Davis family arrived in Philadelphia which was by the way complete loyalist territory uh, at the time we covered that on the uh, the Benedict right. Arnold episode right and uh, it's very interesting here too because get this one. Uh, they then headed down to Georgia, which uh, Georgia was cool back then because the only place that was developed was the coast. All right, it was, was kind of just the wild out there if you were anywhere uh, you know away from the ocean. But uh, they wind up getting down to uh, – out into Kentucky, the Davis family here. And their town – I'm not saying they were well thought of in the town. The town is named Davisburg. Okay, so that was where they were – it's later renamed into uh, Fairview. But that's the kind of – you're getting the, uh, the, the backbone of the community here right. when you're dealing with the Davis family. So – Davis is ironically named after uh, then-incumbent president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson. So the first president of the Confederacy is named after a president from the, you know, the United the States. The third
0: president
2: <laughs> of the United States, right. <laughs> um, who, uh, there, there's uh, – I always like the feud going back and forth that uh, they say that Thomas Jefferson invented America. I always thought that was kind of an interesting thing. That yeah. It's a little bit of a Snapple fact to argue with your friends, but um, – His father greatly admired Thomas Jefferson, so that's why he named Jefferson Davis uh, after him. But it's weird because Davis' paternal figure throughout his life, uh, because his father dies when he's 16, uh, his paternal figure is going to wind up being his oldest brother, Joseph, who's 23 years his senior. Yeah, so. he,
0: he had a, a bunch of siblings, and but Joseph was probably the most influential in his life. And as as you just said, he's
2: twenty three years older than uh, yeah. Because now Uncle Bobby, my Jeff. your oldest brother, Uncle Bobby, who right. we can't bring on the show because he's too much of a wild card. <laughs> That's right. You never know when yeah, he's gonna. Mike, he'll he'll speak Gaelic <laughs> to us just to fuck with us the entire time. <laughs> right. He'll just he'll just stare right through you. Like, Doesn't he <laughs> exactly he's do anything wrong? And, and you haven't had him on yet? <laughs> uh, seriously, that would have been a selling point
1: for me. For the Ming and Mike show, I'd be like, Ming, let's have this. G- he's going to talk Gaelic. And Ming's like, I don't speak Gaelic. Perfect. That's, that's <laughs> right. Book him. Nobody else does either. I but don't that's know if right. you have
2: enough beer in the fridge for Uncle Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, only that's uh, the, the beer is completely
1: filled with, or the beer, the fridge is completely filled with beer. So, yeah, probably not. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. right. <laughs> Get the keggerator in here, and he's like, "All right, that's a start.
2: Yeah, we'll make a that's run." Battle, <laughs> but uh, so it, Uncle Bobby's what? Sixteen years older than you. Sixteen years older. than Okay, the, uh, so now imagine if he was twenty-three years older. You can. Right. There, there's a, a father figure more than a brother thing right. developing mm-hmm. there. So, uh, interesting stuff here. Uh, Davis's father, by the way, did serve in the Continental Army during the American Revolution. So uh, he's going to. He's willing to go to war with Britain to uh, you know create his own country, and then uh, his son's going to kind of go in a different direction. So. Um, well, in a, in a way, not a different direction. Yeah, following the same path. If you play into this idea that the Confederates are, are the true evil, that they're the uh, the, the, the Sith and the Empire and everything, if you want to play it that way, uh, there is a Darth Vader vibe to uh, Jefferson Davis because he starts off as a pretty damn good guy. All right. Now, um, like I said, Davis's father <laughs> dies when uh, Jefferson was sixteen, uh, but Davis remained incredibly close to his brother, like we talked about. And mm-hmm. the family on this very large plantation. And uh, Jefferson, because they had money, he was able to spend his youth kind of attending different schools in Louisiana and Mississippi. And uh, Louisiana, first of all, what a wild state, man. They're wild to begin with down there. Then it's also open container and open carry. <laughs> all right? that's your... There's a reason they're always so polite down there. It's because everybody has a gun. Even <laughs> so back in the 1800s, it was yeah. open open container. You <laughs> I'd like to imagine.
1: Really? I that, pulled, they it. pulled over my buckboard and I had me an open bottle of whiskey. <laughs> that's right.
2: Well, it does remind me to uh, uh, shout out to a friend of the show, Mr. Nick Franco. Nick, uh, uh, we, we've tasked him with reminding us that we do want to do a series on Prohibition one day because, oh, boy, did we fuck that one up. So um, now Joseph Davis, the oldest brother, is able to use the family's reputation to get Jefferson into uh, – it, it's weird because we have to go back. We call him Davis. We call him Jefferson. You kind of – you guys get the gist. The guy's name is Jefferson Davis. But uh, he gets himself an appointment into the United States Military Academy. What's the name of that school, Dad? Uh, West Point, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so here's where it gets a little bit fun. Um, now, uh, Mike, I know you got some great wild stories from the past here. Uh, our boy Jefferson Davis has a pretty good one. He establishes himself at West Point as a little bit of a party boy. Uh, and he goes what I'm going to refer to as Full Belushi. Uh, one Christmas, he organizes. Uh, he's one of the organizers, say, of the smuggling of large amounts of whiskey – to be brought onto the campus for an all-night Christmas drinking party. Uh, okay, so they still had Reveille. But when you're in the military, this is what people don't understand. Is, um, you can do whatever you want at night. Okay, you can party as hard as you want. You have to show up to, for the Navy, like I was in. We had to show up for quarters in the morning. Uh, if things I had to make Reveille, you know, for the West Point guys. Uh, it's sometimes comical because especially on a Saturday or something like that, if you show up for quarters and you just can't even stand straight up, they're just like, all right, Burke, go, go back to sleep. You're good. We, we You're mustered. <laughs> you're, you're accounted daddy. for. So, um, But these guys went absolutely nuts here. They're drinking uh, large amounts of whiskey. They're smuggling into uh, eggnog. So they're walking around just thinking that they're having a nice Christmas drink, and these guys are getting pretty toasted. Um, Now, I'm not saying it got out of control, Dad, but this incident is known as what in the history of West Point? Uh, The eggnog riot. (laughs) We're throwing it, man. Yeah, it's uh, it's good verbiage. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But that being said, now, the riot uh, sees um, nearly 100 cadets rebelling against orders. Uh, now, because Davis was, you know, they, they got him immediately, that they knew he was one of the organizers of this. They put him under house arrest. Now, he had to stay under house arrest for six weeks leading uh, afterwards. But uh, the fact that he got locked up right away meant that he was not one of the 100 cadets that were smashing windows and, uh, you know, just a lot of, you know, fooling around out in the alleys and stuff like that. A couple of them even drew swords against their own teachers and stuff like that, which is pretty cool. If you want to talk, I mean, <laughs>
0: right. you want to argue your grade or yeah, there's a little uh,
2: yeah, <laughs> gets a little bit wacky here. But also, the teachers had swords too, so you know. <laughs> draw swords, swords to determine my final grade. So uh, now, many of these guys wind up getting arrested or expelled as a result, and Davis, luckily, uh, was not expelled. All right, they thought about you know doing an expulsion for him and everything like that, but it wound up being um, not prudent. And also the Davis family, pretty well. Respected. Yeah, you can. If you still have those kind of connections, that uh... now I don't want to get off topic here, but there was one guy in my boot camp division. I was division one one one. I went in in January of two thousand nine, and uh, I always remember because I was in boot camp when the uh, the Giants beat the Patriots for the first time, and uh, we weren't allowed to watch the game. We just got the final result at the end, and we still went nuts like we watched the whole game. But there was one guy in the unit named uh, Alta Belly and. Uh, I'll never forget his name because as he was being escorted off of... <laughs> off campus, so <laughs> go, to speak. He goes, you'll never forget me. And <laughs> he was right. I have not forgotten him. But he was such an idiot, man. He lived outside of Syracuse. And uh, he was the classic guy, always fucking up. He was almost like a he's almost like a Gomer Pyle type uh, where he would just... He would screw up and we all got punished for him. So eventually everybody hated him. But... Uh, He had a couple of lines, man. Uh, This one always made me laugh. And I was like, dude, get your shit together, all right, man? Because they're going to kick you out of here. And he goes, they're not going to kick me out of here. My dad's mayor.
0: Oh, mayor! Ooh. Yep. <laughs> now I,
1: I need to ask this question. Absolutely. Now, are you talking Gomer Pyle the TV show or Gomer Pyle from Full Metal <laughs> Full Jacket? <laughs> I mean, because there's a huge difference between yes, those it. two personalities. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: Y- y- you have to be specific here. <laughs> yes, we're going to go with a uh, Gomer Pyle TV show because uh, it, it ended on a much happier note <laughs> than Full Metal. <laughs>
1: right on. He got canceled. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right.
2: Right. <laughs> Poor Arlie Ermy. Rest in peace. <laughs> but um, no, so uh, they wind up getting him. Uh, He's, he's in trouble but he's allowed to continue now uh, Davis is then sent out to Michigan after graduation okay and one of his duties included escorting the uh, Indian chief Blackhawk who was uh, a captive of the Black Hawk War by the way um, that's also the namesake of the Chicago hockey team all right knew that so. right but but that was uh, that was the campaign if you will of, of, the, of the time that uh, mm-hmm. going against the Blackhawk so he did not um, he didn't actually see action out there. He did escort him. Uh, and then in uh, Black Hawk's own, um, I guess, uh, I almost want to almost call it a diary, but Native American badass war chiefs don't really keep diaries. We'll call it a journal. There's right. something more masculine about that. But uh, he even mentioned how kind and accommodating Jefferson Davis was to him, that he treated him with uh, respect, and also kept away kind of uh, curiosity seeker. So, you know, you know what it is. You're going through an airport, Mike. Somebody recognizes you from a television show that might have been on for several seasons. Never happens. <laughs> never Not to happens?
1: Me. It happens to other people. Never happens to me. So that's that's perfectly fine. I'm the, Hey, I, I love the anonymity.
2: <laughs> now, uh, question for you then. Um, is it true that when you and Ming travel together, you actually uh, strap him to your chest in a baby, Bjorn?
1: <laughs> uh, that's never been confirmed. <laughs> there are photos. Nor but denied. Nor denied. <laughs> Sometimes Ming's little legs get tired. So
2: uh oh, it's this is why we do it in the studio here. It's not <laughs> right. the same if we try to do it in the basement so but um, now uh, he winds up getting back um uh he's serving well, he's serving admirably Jefferson Davis here. He's a good military man. Uh, Now, he's serving as the second lieutenant for Colonel Zachary Taylor.
0: Yeah, now, there's a a name that... uh, Yeah, that should ring a bell for... That's going to be a contact that
2: he's going to draw that card later. So, this guy, uh, again, he's born 100 miles away from Abe Lincoln, uh, less than 100 miles away from Mary Todd Lincoln, who was also from Kentucky. And then uh, now he winds up uh, cozying up to uh, the daughter of Colonel Zachary Taylor, who's also going to go on to become president. So, this guy's hanging out... do you feel like the presidents all hang out sometimes? Yeah, there's, there's so many connect, interconnects you know, here that it's, it's incredible. They're just chilling in the back room. But uh, Zachary Taylor uh, has a uh, rather attractive daughter named Sarah Knox Taylor.
0: Yeah, now Zach Taylor is also uh, a big hero of the Black Hawk War. So I mean, mm-hmm. he's he's gaining uh, national notoriety uh, with what was happening with the with the Indians. But yeah, he's got a apparently he's got a daughter that's a looker and. Uh, um, you know, our, our boy Jeff Davis is uh,
2: trying to make some moves on her. And, and young Jefferson Davis, not an ugly man either, yeah. okay? You know, and in his later days, he, he's a little beat up. We'll we'll talk about that later with his health problems and everything. But, um, yeah, he's quite smitten with uh, Sarah Knox Taylor. And um, Davis actually married uh, Taylor's daughter, uh, uh, Sarah, against Taylor's wishes. All right? He respected Davis, uh, but he didn't want his daughter to have the tough life of a uh, frontier officer's wife because – Indian fighting, um, you know, not really having access to a lot of stuff. It's it's a mean life, all right.
0: Why yeah, at that point, Col- Colonel Taylor um, was being moved around from post to post, and you know, the army life is really hard on the. On the uh, the wives and daughter or and offspring's of the, of the kids, they're constantly on the move. You know they, that army brat kind of a thing is. Uh,
2: it's a lifestyle, large, and, right? And, and you're, there's you're, very
0: few that are able to do it. You're putting you're being put on the on the frontier, on the leading edge of the hostilities, if you will. And then the Black Hawk War is uh, a
2: prime example of that. Yeah, and this is before Skype too, so they weren't able to really talk at the end of the day, yeah. and give each other notes and everything. But uh, I'm not saying Sarah Knox Taylor was hot. All right, Um, but she has to be pretty hot if Jefferson Davis is then willing to uh, forego a successful military career to marry her. Right, he Uh, asks
0: he asks the father for permission to marry her, and he says no, not because he really disliked Jeff Davis, but he did not want his daughter to go enter into an army life, if you will. Right, she's going to be following him from you know shithole from shithole to uh, an, an army post, kind of a thing. So.
2: Well, he, he decides he's going to end his military career. So uh, he goes to get out and um, in order to pursue his life with Sarah. And the two of them were very fond of each other, too. It seems like it was a very happy marriage on all accounts. Uh, but the marriage was held barely a month after his departure from the military. Right. He
0: resigns from the from the military and then marries her, but it's still against her
2: father's wishes. Right. And uh, more on that here later. Um <laughs> Now Davis takes over a small plantation next to his brother uh, Joseph's near Vicksburg, Mississippi. Which is I mean, you want to talk about Greek tragedy here on this one? Uh, it's right near Vicksburg, which happens to be uh, the last major siege that breaks, that kind of cripples the Confederacy. That happening, coupled with Gettysburg, is essentially the, the right. Confederacy ended within uh, you know a fortnight. So, see fortnight reference, guys. But. <laughs> But uh, Davis and Sarah then uh, travel down to uh, Louisiana. they desire is they're going to spend the summer with, uh, you know, Davis's sister on her plantation down in Louisiana. Uh, the move was originally done for their health, but it uh, didn't really work out that way. No. Uh, they both catch uh, yellow fever or malaria. And uh, poor Sarah, who was uh, – I mean, again, you want to – you're sitting there. You're going to be, uh, you know, you're a father, and you don't want your uh, daughter to marry this guy who's going to keep you out on the frontier. So this guy gets out of the military, marries your daughter, and then moves her down to Louisiana, and then she dies within three months after the into the marriage. Right. From I mean, they've only
0: married three months, and then she dies of uh,
2: of the disease. Yeah. So and he also gets gravely ill at the same time. So well, where do you go when it's time to uh, recuperate? You know, your uh, your young wife is dead. You're dying too, and uh, it's time to go to Havana. Right. <laughs> That had to be wild back in the day, just to be able to, to, to go to Cuba like that. Because you know, now there's, I don't know, maybe there's like a, a, a something exotic about Cuba now because we had the embargo for so many years. But they were just treating that like going to the Keys.
0: Yeah, that was uh, just a short hop over. And it was uh, the climate would be better for your health. And obviously, too, that Jeff Davis, although he doesn't have a whole lot of money himself personally, the family does. I mean, if you're if you're a lieutenant in the army and you just resigned uh, from the army, you really don't have a whole lot of prospects. But uh,
2: is back in the day when they... the military career was used as a uh, resume builder. Right. So you wanted to show that you were your own man, not just from your family's money. Right. So kind of a weird thing. Uh, did you hear the part about how he got kicked out of Cuba? No. The uh, he was on his, uh, you know, he was kind of bedridden and he would start drawing pictures of the Spanish fortifications. Oh, yeah. They started to say, hey, hey, this American military guy is drawing our shit. You right. better get the fuck out of here, pal. Right. But it's okay because uh, that's the high water mark of our tensions with Spain over Cuba. It's all been resolved since then. Uh, Jesus, that one uh, got weird.
0: Well, well, there was a lot of people looking at, at Cuba at that point in time, too, that you know, maybe we should just take it from the
2: Spanish. And even Jefferson it partly, was talking about it. Right. Jefferson wanted it because uh the, the idea was that that would be the perfect landing spot for any invasion of the United States
0: for any foreign power to exactly. uh, invade the United States through Cuba and and, uh, you know red dawn told
1: us everything we needed in the 80s <laughs> that's that's where they that's it i mean i remember seeing Wolverines. that as exactly you know it's, it's yeah avenge, avenge me boys avenge me <laughs>
2: And this is a scary time in America. We don't have Patrick Swayze to fight our battles for us yet. Yeah. So um,
0: – Yeah, but Cuba was also you – know, again, g- getting serious here. But uh, you know, they wanted uh, – a lot of the Southerners wanted to bring Cuba into the United States because that would be one more slave state
2: and tip that whole balance of power between – And then also the, uh, between, sugar uh, cane, all sorts of other stuff absolutely. coming in from there. And it's uh, – I, I do want to go to Cuba one day if I can. Um, but uh, – now, his, his only escort while he was over in there was uh, this guy, uh, one of his slaves by the name of John Pemberton, okay? Uh, now, it's important that we, we start to talk about this here because this is the part where you hold the guy's feet to the fire. He was not apologetic about slavery, okay? In fact, I believe he owned – at the height of slavery, he owned over 160 slaves. Yeah, right?
0: I believe that was the number
2: in just prior to the Civil War. Because there, there's always these uh, – we're also going to talk a little bit about the myth of the lost cause because there's kind of a uh, revisionist <laughs> history that's told about the South. Um, it's weird because then the, the correction to that revisionist history is an additional revisionist history. So somewhere in the middle is the truth. So that's what we're trying to find here on the, uh, this episode. But uh, So it, it was a slave-based society. Um, the, the South was agricultural. The, the North was industrial. We'll talk about that more here in a second. But um, if uh, Jefferson Davis you – know, he, he kind of keeps quiet after he gets back from Cuba. He – is sitting around. He talks to his brother a lot. He's studying politics. He's studying history. All this other stuff, and accidentally, kind of creating for himself an opportunity to be seen as a politician. So yeah,
0: yeah. he's also in a in a deep funk over the death of his uh, bride of three months. Yeah, that, he he truly mourned her. Yeah, so he's uh, in deep depression. He barely survives his own illness that uh, struck him. His, he and his wife down. So I mean, it's. Uh, He's starting to turn from that uh, dashing young man to more
2: of a a darker side kind of a thing. And he's um, got—he's also uh, the the disease has kind of aged him a little bit. He's a little rougher looking. He's not quite the uh, you know the wet behind the ears kid that he was. Now in 1840, Davis decides um, you know he's going to start attending uh, Democratic Party meetings over in Mississippi. And to his uh, shock, this is when you can tell that. uh, Remember, there's that line about Warren G. Harding that. one of the guys uh, saw him, who was like a, a Republican guru or something. At the the RNC he just goes, "Man, what a fine looking president he would make." Yeah, you don't know what he sounds like when he talks. You don't know anything about him. He's got the he's you know, the front man. Don't though. know what his IQ is, <laughs> but man, that guy looks like a president. So that must have been how these people looked at Jefferson Davis, because you see every time that he's presented for some sort of an office, he's clearly the forerunner. So uh, he's selected as the representative for the state meeting over in Jackson, Mississippi. Now around this time too, again because. Uh, Lincoln, born in Kentucky, but really, uh, associated with Illinois and, uh, equal parts, Jefferson Davis is now mostly associated with Mississippi. Okay. So that's kind of where they're making their home. They're, they're born in Kentucky, but making their homes elsewhere. And, uh, as he attends the democratic national convention, multiple times, I might add, he also effectively campaigns for uh, president, James K Polk. All right. Now, uh, Polk interesting guy. Uh, but I thought it'd be interesting here. You know, who's the, uh, you want to take a wild guess? Who the president after James K. Polk is, Mike Zapsack? Not even a little bit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All uh, I know is pig and a polk. That's <laughs>
0: pig in a polk. That's,
2: there you go. Well, the uh, the next president of the United States after Polk, who uh, he's you know sitting here and uh, campaigning for, is going to be his former father-in-law, Zachary Taylor. So Dun, dun, dun. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's a little interesting here. Uh, now, like we said, Davis is also a slave owner during the time uh, that there's uh, – There's a lot of um, discrepancy with uh, the price of slaves and stuff like that. But what do we say? If you adjust it for today's value, that it would be about $30,000 to own a slave?
0: Uh, Yeah, it all depends on uh, who you're buying, if you will. That if it's a a kid, a female, uh, uh, a strong uh, black male, if he's got talents like carpentry or blacksmithing or something like that. So, I mean, the values would, would slide back and forth. But... Yeah, it was uh, something to aspire to to
2: be able to afford to buy a slave. Yeah, that's the thing that they always say is that uh, because the the slave ownership, it's not all Candyland from Django. You know what I mean? It's not all that. Um, There are families that have if you look at it like uh, like having a uh, like a a mid-level Mercedes Benz kind of a thing that there's some families that are able to afford it, even though they probably, you know, could have spent the money more wisely. So anyway, there's definitely this is a let's not kid ourselves here. The South is a slave based economy. OK, because you need the slave labor in order to get uh, cotton. That's the boom, you know, the, the cash crop, if you will.
0: Which the big three were cotton, tobacco and rice. Mm-hmm. And all and funny that. That
2: All that's bad for us now. <laughs> you know, we, we finally realized that
0: um, all three required, uh, you know, in, intense labor force for that. But I mean, you're saying that the South's economy is based on on uh, slave labor, but. I think it was somewhere near sixty percent of the gross national product was based on cotton. Not only the the growing of cotton, but then the, the manufacturing of cotton, because the cotton would grown in the South, but then shipped north to the to the industrial North to manufacture that into and then cotton you could, goods. Yeah, you could
2: weave it into stuff and the, the right. seamstresses and all that right. other good. I mean, it, it's all the it's textile wild. mills and stuff were there it is. that's primarily up for. in uh, in uh, New England. So we're going to cover that a little bit more because we're going to break down. Um, Yeah, the the final days of the Confederacy here uh, in a minute, but I do want to, there seems to be this classic thing here. So in 1844, Davis would meet a woman. All right. Now he's been pretty good. He's honored the the memory of his wife the entire time here. Um, He hasn't sought out anybody else. He's not doing anything crazy. Uh, He's just a true widower in the sense. But in 1844, he meets a woman named uh, Verena Howell. Is that... Are we allowed to just admit that's a hot sounding name, <laughs> Verena? Yeah, Verena. That Howell. does something for you. Huh? The uh, the granddaughter, by the way, of uh, Governor Richard Howell, Mike Zabsic. Any guess as to which state her grandfather was governor of? Would it be Kentucky? Close, sir. Close. Well, Mississippi. Welcome to our New Jersey tie-in, Mike.
1: <laughs> oh, up here? Yeah. yeah. No kidding. Yep. Then it's As in will New Jersey? Then it's light years away from Kentucky, for God's sake! I am <laughs> so far off. Oh, my goodness. And I, I'm sorry. I I didn't know there was going to be tests today. <laughs> <That was cool. laughs>
2: you know it is? Uh, whenever we do, because we always have uh, the Kahuna in here who we love, man. Um, but the thing with the Kahuna is whenever we give a Jersey tie-in, you just, there's this look that he gives like a little kid on Christmas, like, yeah, There's like, one more present behind the tree. I can, yeah, I can actually hear him go. Oh!
1: <laughs> uh, so that laugh means that I struck home. That was, that was
2: bullseye. We well, you know what it is too, because we we do love the kahuna, But sometimes when he tunes out, um, he'll come back in the conversation we'll just repeat what we said about a minute earlier. He'd be like, "Oh, so that's kind of like." I was like, "God damn it, Christian!" So. <laughs> Um, i'm i am
1: fascinated this is amazing i mean i've listened to you guys but this is sitting in studio is 10 times better <laughs> so i i say we put up bandstand behind me we get the bandstand up we get the bleachers
2: and oh I there you go just front loaded in i dream of a live episode that would be fantastic too and then uh Again, we could also, the the audience could have a button they could wake the kahuna up with when he's not into it. (laughs) That's one of the things I want to talk to you about. Uh, I'm so happy you're here, Mike. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) now, not for nothing here. Think about this one for a second, if you will. Um, So, Verena Howell, who, if you look at her in in photos and pictures and paintings, attractive. Okay, Yeah. A little bit of a darker complexion, too. Like you were saying, What, what, what was the knock on her? Uh, Well, she had uh, an olive
0: complexion. Oh, boy. Okay. um, Well Um, tanned, but... uh, She's a Jersey girl. Of
2: course she's tan. all right?
0: But at the same time, uh, the picture of loveliness, if you will, at at that time, especially in the South, was you were supposed to have... uh, Absolutely white porcelain skin, high cheekbones, and lips. Women are walking around with umbrellas so that the sun doesn't hit hit them, and uh, you know that means that you were not out in the fields working; that you were well cared for and didn't have to lift a, a finger because you would have a slave to,
2: to handle all those now imagine those if you chores. Will, Imagine if you will, sir. We're talking about um, her grandfather was the governor of New Jersey, and now her family's relocated down into the South, because she grew up in the South, mostly. Yeah, our family definitely is uh, Southern-born. Can can you just think about this for one second? I know it's inappropriate to talk about this with your father, but (laughs) Jersey girls with Southern accents, Larry. Yeah. My God, the boners. Um, (laughs) But was she the original? Did she have the big hair, the original Jersey? Oh, Jefferson! (laughs) (laughs) What's going on? Imagine that. You're, deer. you're sick and your head down in the water. <laughs> um, Take me to Florida. Oh, that's half the battle, man. Yeah. Now it's still owned by the Spaniards. We can't do that. <laughs> I just picture her chewing gum the entire time. She Jefferson, what are you doing? Get out of there, stupid. Uh, Verena, by the way, 18 years old at the time, and uh, Davis was 35, which if you're good at math— you wouldn't think 35 goes into 18, but it does. <laughs> Multiple times, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, now, Davis was, again, still a well-respected guy from a good family. Verena becomes very fond of his sweetness. She's actually got a pretty cool quote where uh, she, there one part of his personality that she found offensive was that um, he seemed to take for granted that any time he said something in a room, all the men just agreed with him. So it goes back to that thing where it's like Jefferson Davis just an impressive guy, where it's like a – I don't know. I, I don't want to...
0: Yeah, your opinion could be totally screwed up, but if you're saying it with authority and, uh, you know, you you
2: had some believability to you that, uh, oh, yeah, yeah,
0: that, that's a pretty good point.
2: Yeah, because, I mean, shared universe is part of the old. I mean, if uh, if Kevin Smith came in here and told us all to wear our pants on our head, we would all have our pants on our head. That's essentially how <laughs> fast... It would, there's an emperor's new clothes kind of a thing to this.
0: Uh, it was. I think it was an interesting little side note, too, that it was also his older brother, Joe, that was... Uh, um, Directly responsible for those two meeting because uh, he invited her to his home for a, a, a short-term vacation. Break, or, I think, yeah. yeah, right, so that she was a, a guest of the brother,
2: and then he had this big party, and that's when they, they first met. So yeah, You ever do Christmas down south? It's weird. <laughs> All right, I did one when I was on the boat in Jacksonville. We got off duty um, Christmas morning, and you walk over to the ocean, and you're just sitting there, and it's like, you know, it, it's jacket weather in Jacksonville I'll Put it that way But you're like this is, There's no way this is Fucking Christmas right now <laughs> <You're> right. <It's laughs> But anyway uh, Now uh, Davis uh, He seeks out permission To court Verena And he's denied several times Due to his age And more so because Of his politics all right? The Howell family From New Jersey They were Whigs all right? Whigs which is uh, it, It's weird Because we always talk About this on the show The political parties Kind of realign Slowly every 30 years Where what It's almost like they're unrecognizable to their own selves. Not
0: real I think it's more of a flip-flop kind of a thing that – It's where it gets weird. Right, right.
2: So uh, again, stuff like uh, Grover Cleveland we talked about too is that uh, he was a Democrat that all the Republicans liked. There's always weird shit like this. Right. But – so their family was the Whigs and Davis was now becoming a superstar of the uh, Democratic National Party. So eventually the Howell family consents and the two wind up getting married. But get this, no members of the Davis family attended the wedding. Yeah, that's that's not really a ringing endorsement. It was
0: just a small little uh,
2: ceremony to tie the knot, kind of. Hang a thing. on, this sounds familiar. Oh my God, he got her pregnant. They went down to the courthouse and did it. <laughs> well, I told you she was a Jersey girl. Yeah, <laughs> come on, don't do it. I got prom next weekend. <laughs> um, now, in 1846, even though he was a seated member of the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, Our boy Davis forms the volunteer regiment known as the 1st Mississippi Rifles in order to join into the war with uh, Mexico. uh, Is there another guy that's about to become a hero during the war with Mexico? (laughs) Yeah, well, there's a a lot of
0: people that were going to become heroes, but uh, I mean, just to to rewind it a little bit here, um, you know, he campaigned, Davis campaigned uh, heavily for uh, President Polk, and Polk then goes on and picks a fight with uh, the Mexican government. Uh, this Texas. is after, mind
2: you, it is after we Texas had some success, so we're like, oh well, if Texas can do it. Well, let's right. see what we got.
0: Right. So let's let's pick an argument because with the 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 Texan and you know remember the Alamo and all that kind of thing, uh, that's already happened. But now the the southern border of Texas is still vague. That um, some are saying it's the Rio Grande. Some are saying well, it's north of the Rio Grande. So Polk orders uh, troops down into Texas to protect the American citizens um, in Texas, and actually picks a fight with the Mexican government and starts the the uh, the, the war with Mexico. And um, Zach Taylor is uh, part of that. Um, you know, Jeff Davis's former father-in-law. Uh, he wants to. Uh, go down there he now forms his the mississippi rifles which uh he's from the state of mississippi so he's forming up this band he's also a, a u.s senator yeah. yeah so um but one of the things that i found interesting is that he wants to form this militia of uh the mississippi rifles but he insists on that they were going to be outfitted with the latest technology which was the uh, 1861 uh Rifled musket, kind of a thing. So, if we're going in, we're going in with the best.
2: Now, just to break that down for one second here, because there's uh, people. Don't... So, smooth bore muskets mean that's uh, the actual uh, barrel of the gun, if you will, is just smooth. So, a rifled bore means that it's going to have the, uh, the the swirls inside. If you right, it's, it's going to
0: put a spin on the
2: yeah. So, it, it's a fastball versus a uh, a perfect football pass. So that the pass is going to have a spiral to it, and then the fastball is just a you know straight shot. Ahead. Right. So, breaks that one down. Has it,
0: makes it, th- so. it makes it. It makes it the weapon more accurate, more deadly, if you will, that, uh, again, you're dealing with the
2: the best. And like you say, he winds up getting these rifles, but I, I thought, are you going to talk about the... Uh, the little... No, you can, you can take that one. Uh, I thought it was interesting, too, because uh, he wants these rifles, and uh, Polk promises he's, you know, you campaign for me, you're one of my, you know, you're always voting on my side and stuff, um, I'll get you the rifles, but... You got to hang out a little bit longer here in Congress, because right. he's, you know, he's, a, he's still a seated representative, right? So hang out, and I need you to vote on this thing. What was it called? It was the uh, the Walker tariff, which wound up lowering taxes.
0: Yeah, so. the Walker tariff was uh, a big issue with with Polk because it was going to create lower tariffs, which the southern the southerners were all for, um, and so it was a split. Like any other thing, one side of the aisle is, is for it and one side of the aisle is against it. So Polk is telling Jeff Davis, well, hang out so I can get your vote on this thing so it goes my way. And then I'll make sure that you're going to get your uh, your Isn't uh, it sad your how often
2: um, politics winds up – remember the, the game as a kid? I don't know if you guys played it, but there was always a kid in any of your classes that would say uh, if, wanted, like if you had candy or something like that or if it was your birthday and you brought in cupcakes – there's always a kid like, hey, uh, if you give me an extra cupcake, I'll be your best friend. <laughs> it's sad how much politics actually just uses that. <laughs> yeah. Um, it all comes back to elementary school. So he winds up getting the rifles, and this starts a lifelong feud between uh, Jefferson Davis and Winfield Scott, who, by the way, is also at one time going to be the head of the Army of the Potomac. So, uh, Yeah.
0: Well, Winfield Scott is the, in charge of the Army at this particular time for the Mexican for the, War, and he, he denies Jeff Davis those rifles and then – you know the political card is to, is played as uh, well. You know, Polk said I could get these, uh, and that really
2: pissed off Winfield Scott towards yeah, Chuck like Davis. Going over somebody's head, right? You know exactly. Um, now Davis's men and their newfangled rifles were surprisingly effective, actually. And Davis himself fought bravely at the battles of Monterey and Buena Vista. Hilarious that these are spring break locations now. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, so uh, he actually gets wounded at the Battle of Buena Vista, uh, shot in the foot. Now, um, I can't figure this out because if the Purple Heart started in 1782, um, I couldn't find any documentation as whether or not Jefferson Davis received the Purple Heart. Because to me, it would, if he got injured in battle, he's supposed to have. But it could be something like he shot himself in the foot or he stepped on something. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. So it gets a little bit weird. It's like when Grandpa, you know, uh, uh, Mom's dad would tell me about how he got his Purple Heart in uh, the Battle of the Bulge is that uh, he just got blown out of the back of a truck. He's, but he's sitting there, like, telling you, like, it's nothing. Like, he's very, oh, yeah, I got blown out of a truck in Bastogne. I'm like, what? Yeah. But, anyway, um, so the, uh...
0: Then your grandmother's line
2: was, Marty, you never told me that. <laughs> <laughs> it was weird. He told me a lot of shit that... There were some times that he would tell me stories, story, and we'll, and we'll talk about him for another episode because uh, that, that man's my hero, but... Uh, A lot of times, grandpa would tell me a story and he would get comfortable talking to me because he wouldn't really talk to a lot of other people about it. And he'd get comfortable. And then he'd tell me one detail too many, like forgetting that I'm a sixth grader. (laughs) He's like, Yeah, I'm sitting there scooping his guts up, putting it back into his stomach. I mean, there's nothing we could really do for him, just try to make him comfortable. And I'm just like, Ha! Ha! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Did you know John Wayne? Um, So, uh, now his old father in law. Even comments at uh, Jefferson Davis's uh, bravery here at the Battle of Buena Vista. Uh, it appears my daughter has better judgment in men than I. Yeah, his first wife. Yeah. yeah. So he goes, "Wow, you are you earned some. You know, that's street cred, baby." So, uh, now after the war, new president Franklin Pierce, by the way, considered one of the worst presidents in American history, uh, made Davis his Secretary of War. Uh, Davis was actually considered to be widely successful during his service in that capacity. Uh, which plays into, you know, later on things for him as well. After Pierce loses the nomination to James Buchanan, who's also considered one of the worst presidents of all time. It's weird how many, like, shitty presidents we had to have before you get Lincoln. Had a bunch in a row, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then right after Lincoln, kind of not great either for a while. But um, Meanwhile, the whole country is heating up over the whole
0: slavery, uh, free state yeah, issues. You got, and,
2: what are we doing with Texas? Bleeding Kansas is happening here. If you admit a slave state, you have to admit an uh, abolition state, too. That's the Compromise of 1850. Um, the so, Missouri Compromise mm-hmm. and uh, California coming
0: in at one point. California, after we took that from Mexico, um, Northern California was going to be free and Southern California was going to be slave.
2: Yeah, well, uh, and now again
0: it's, through political maneuvering, the whole state went
2: um, to a free state. It's sometimes crazy when you think about because you got uh, you're talking about. Imagine if North California and Southern California could get along. They can't. All right. The Chargers hate the Rams. The Rams hate the Chargers. The uh, the Raiders can't stand the Niners, and vice versa. So it's wild out there. I miss football. You um, <laughs> noticed? Yeah. Don't worry. It's almost back. Then when uh, once football's back, there will be no more Sunday recordings. I guarantee <laughs> you that. Um, but the uh, now again, let's be honest. Jefferson Davis still a slave owner, staunch supporter of slave rights. He's viewing it as a property issue, not a human rights issue. So that's the whole thing here. Uh, he was in favor of a weak federal government but was also largely against secession. So he did not want the South to leave. They're always talking about, well, we'll leave. We'll start our own country. And he's completely against that. You've got to preserve the union. That's at least what he's thinking at the time.
0: Well, yeah, as, a, as a West Point grad and army officer and everything else, I mean, he, <laughs> pledged, uh, he pledged himself to the, to the union. and All
2: enemies, both foreign right. and domestic. So, um, but uh, the slave state abolition state arguments in the debates were the main topic of Davis's return to the Senate. New territories are being added to the U.S. via purchases and other means, but the main argument is whether or not the new states should be allowed to enter the Union as slaveholding states or not. Now, Davis again here's where the the here's where the nuance comes in. Davis delivers an anti-secessionist speech. He delivers them all over the country. By the way, he's up in Boston making speeches. He speaks at Faneuil Hall, actually. he believed each state should have the right to secede, but didn't think it prudent due to his knowledge of the South's lack of military stronghold. So he's aware that, like yeah. agriculture versus industry, this fight might not go the way we want it. Right, to. right. So. If you
0: guys choose to do that, it might not, uh, might not pan out for you. Well,
2: now in uh, 1860, uh, his neighbor from growing up, if you will, Abraham Lincoln is now he's been elected as the president of the United States. And his election signals to the South that all right, it's time for action. If, if this guy's gonna, this guy's here to fuck shit up. Okay. Now, uh, you want to guess what the first two states were, Dad?
0: To secede. To secede. South Carolina and Mississippi, I yes.
2: believe. Which I believe I might have the numbers wrong, but I believe for the slave-holding um, populace at the time, forty-nine uh, percent of South Carolina owned slaves, and forty-six percent of Mississippi owned slaves. So it is funny that that's the that's the big jump right, right. away. Talking about almost half the, the population or slave right. owners,
0: right? You know, I think one of the things too is that, you know, we just picked a fight with Mexico and kicked the shit out of them and gained all kinds of new property, um, and most of which went to uh, slave uh, slaveholding uh, territories or states. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, but the numbers that we actually suffered as far as casualties and stuff in the Mexican War, not all that not all that great nothing compared to what happened uh, later on with the civil war but you know and i think a lot of people were like well, well shit we can kick the shit out of anybody here we just took on the whole nation of mexico and we we kicked their asses we captured their capital and everything else that uh, you know i think people were getting a little pumped up as to uh, what uh, the southern
2: capabilities yeah. mexico's were mexico's also so fractured um at the time that it's uh their, their provinces or their states, if you will, they might not have even known there was a war going on at right, the border. Right. So, um, Certainly didn't affect them directly. Now, that was... Because we did do some research. We had to do a little fact-checking on this because I was told um, a couple of times that the slave-owning population of the South was... Uh, it, it was That was a problem of, like, the 1%, you know? and Because uh, we you talk about the cost of a slave... Then when you look at those numbers, like I said, we're talking about 49%, 46% of these two big states that they're the absolute first ones out of Dodge because... You're talking about um, – nobody wants – I, I had my truck repossessed once, all right? That's not a great feeling. You walk outside and just like, huh, oh, good, burglary. Finally, I'll make some money off this thing. And then you realize, no, it's because you didn't pay for three months. Um, so the idea is that these people, when you're looking at it, when you're avoiding the obvious that it's a human rights issue and you're looking at it as a property issue, these guys think that they're going to lose all of this you – know, the slaves that they've spent all their money you know, purchasing and cultivating their land. They don't know how they're going to live without this because they've gotten a little bit too comfortable. So, um, now the one thing that we did find though, is, uh, I read that article about the myths of the civil war and I just want to put you on blast real quick here. I won't say a woman's name cause I read the article and uh, it annoyed me. Uh, she said she could not find any evidence that, uh, uh, free blacks fought for the Confederacy. And, uh, within a minute and a half, I dismantled that because we did a, an Af- we did a black history month episode who was the first African American to win the medal of honor. Right. And, um, Really cool stories on that one. But the weird side note we found was that the first Louisiana Native Guard, which, by the way, Louisiana, more of a French vibe down there. They're pretty cool about stuff. You have the Creole population, the free black population. Um, a, a lot of escaped slaves would try to make it down Louisiana, actually, into New Orleans in particular. But uh, so in New Orleans, a lot of the, uh, the, the free blacks, uh, the elders in the community... Uh, They put out a call that they said, hey, we need to rally some men up here. We need to put together like a National Guard type of thing. And they had thousands of free blacks uh, join, you know, immediately to to support their homeland. Because, again, we always talk about this. People back then didn't travel more than like 30 miles outside where they were born. Okay, so the idea that these people from you've never met these, you know how you hate a team? That you don't really like. I don't know why we hated West Milford football, but we did. (laughs) All right, because they were different from us. That was the thing. We just wanted somebody to hate. We're warlike that way.
0: They're on the other end of the
1: county. (laughs) Think think about the nineteen eighties. We hated the Russians. They're they're the same as us.
2: They have asshole leaders. That's. I mean, it's right. Right. It's uh and drinking problems. Uh, By the way, one of the best accounts ever on Instagram uh, is called Look at This Russian, and I watch it every day. That is just. The, the certain parts of Russia over there, it's just like watching a, a sequel to Jackass. Okay, but...
1: <laughs> <laughs> or cops.
2: Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're pretty wild, man. Um, but uh, I do get a kick out of all this. Now, um, the one thing we found, though, is that uh, that unit, the First Louisiana National Guard, uh, they also had the first black officers. So they had three white commanders, and then they had black officers. So it's kind of a, a, a harsh juxtaposition. It goes against the, the modern uh, convention that um, the South in the Confederacy had the first black officers leading black troops. So it's just kind of a weird what-the-fuck moment. Right. But uh, anyway, now uh, Davis, like we said, he was prior to the Secretary of War. He's aware of the, uh, the forts and the strongholds uh, within the Southern Territory. So uh, this is gonna kind of plays into something here in a second. Um, so if Lincoln gets brought into office in 1860, on uh, January 21st, 1861, is a day that Davis describes as the saddest of his life. And he resigns from the Senate and returns to Mississippi. He then telegraphs the governor of Mississippi, informing him of his availability to serve in any capacity uh, any capacity needed. So, turns out Davis is very well liked in six of the seven states of the early Confederacy, and he's seen as the embodiment of a slave society with uh, planters' values. You know all that good shit, and uh, they wind up deciding that. He's thinking he's going to be a general, by the way. That's what he wants. Jefferson Davis wants to be boots on the ground. He's already got military experience from the war with Mexico. And then uh, he gets... Hey, a, he was a
0: Secretary of War, for crying mm-hmm. out loud. So who better to be serving as the uh, the military
2: of the of the South than, uh, than Jeff Davis? But he's so well-liked that uh, he gets a telegraph that his wife describes as thinking something bad just happened. He gets a telegraph that tells him, uh, we've elected you president of this new country, so congratulations. And the guy's like, of course he's going to take the position, but wasn't really what he was looking for you know um but he was too well liked and the uh, the people he was running against actually weren't too well liked so now all of a sudden he resigns from his job with the federal government now he's the president of a new country but it's within the old country it's very weird so it's like uh, it's like when you have to change a banner or something like that for the season it's like mom's always doing you know
0: put the banner It's christmas now get rid of that pumpkin
2: so um but uh, he was inaugurated on uh, february 18th all right, during Black History Month. Awkward. Um, on the steps of the Alabama state capitol and his uh, vice president, Alexander H. Stevens, the two of these guys fucking hate each other. So you don't want... When you're starting a country out, man, you don't want an odd couple scenario right away. Yeah. That's what they wind up setting themselves up for here.
0: Um, well, it's, it's, it parallels Lincoln, though, too, because uh, there was a lot of people within the Lincoln administration that didn't get along with, with Lincoln and were trying to promote themselves. So, I mean... There's a lot of political backstabbing and maneuvering and uh, a lot of different opinions even within the Confederacy. And there's also a move –
2: still to this day there's a move, by the way, the the politicians will use where if the candidate running for president is from the south, they'll align themselves with like a Midwesterner or something to try to bring everybody. So there's always a weird thing with that too. Um, Now, like we said, Davis, when he was the secretary of war, knew of several forts and federal strongholds within the southern territory. So now you have a country that you're in charge of. But uh, the other country has forts within your stuff. That's not really good. Right. Um, Here's something I thought was interesting. I did not know this before we researched for this episode. Um, Davis actually offers to pay the southern part of the national debt. He goes, hey, man, we're going to start our own thing, but we're going to, you know, we'll throw it down. You know, we'll we'll toss you a couple of 20s. (laughs)
0: All right, we'll land you up for what we owe.
2: Yeah, exactly. So we're going to pay our part of the the southern national debt. And then also, he wanted to legally purchase this is the, the big kicker here. Legally purchase any federal land in southern territory, which would include forts and shit like that. Maybe there's a fort in Charleston, South Carolina where some shit's going to go down called Fort Sumner. Yeah. Well, he offered to buy it, but Lincoln here refused to meet with Davis because he didn't want to legitimize uh, the rebellion by acknowledging that this guy existed. Right, that he's now so, the leader of yeah. a different country. So if the state secedes, he's going to deal with the governor of the state. Because that's that's the whole state's rights thing is that they want to elevate the power of a governor, Um, which we here in New Jersey know sometimes is not the best idea. So um, this now leads to a back and forth uh, of intelligence gathering and communications about the pending assault on Fort Sumter. Okay, Fort Sumter right there on the river. It is, by the way, one of the coolest things that happened in my military career was uh, we were doing small boat exercise. We had 34 foot patrol boats. And we were going out to do a gun shoot, the 50 cal out there. Which, by the way, if you want to vomit, stand yeah. on you know the bow of a 34 uh, <laughs> foot patrol boat out in the middle of the ocean, and just try to balance yourself enough that you can line up the shots to you know have the sights lining up at least. Just the sights lining up is tough. Then you got to go shoot at this orange ball out in the mean. It's I lost my body weight in vomit that day. I'll put it that <laughs> way. So. Uh, but on our way out, we passed by Fort Sumter, which I thought was so cool. That that's you'll never see that by uh, by boat usually. That's not really how they uh, they do the tours over there. But uh, so now uh, inside of that fort uh, are these federal troops, and uh, they're going to need resupply. And Lincoln writes to the governor of Mississippi and also to the uh, the governor of South Carolina, South Carolina, that he intends to um, resupply them, but not reinforce. So I want my guys to have food, but I'm not sending. Right. Any, no shots have been fired in the Civil War yet. Not yet, and uh, that's going to have to change now because if Jefferson allows them to be resupplied, it's this idea: well, it's there for the taking right now. Are we going to really how how weak of a you know offense are we going to put up here? And then finally, this guy has my favorite name ever: uh, P.D.G. I'm sorry, P.D.G. Beauregard. Beauregard. Beauregard's just fun to say. <laughs> I don't know why. It's like a Benny Agbayani kind of a thing, but. Uh, after uh, the refusal of uh, the inhabitants of the garrison, the federal troops, by the way, uh, Abner Doubleday is in there, one of those guys. He becomes a hero at Gettysburg, and they accuse him of inventing baseball, but it's something that he never really said he did. It's a whole weird story. There's for still a back
0: episode. and forth on that one, too, but yeah. Yeah,
2: for another episode. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, Beauregard fires now the first shots of the American Civil War. Um, if you had to pick a battle to be in, Mike Zapsick, this is the one. It's a multi-day artillery battle. All right? Mostly just cannons firing left and right. And nobody gets hurt. Nothing. No, no casualties. Yeah, I think there's like maybe one guy got burned on the arm with powder or something like that. But they use starvation tactics. And once uh, the guys realize that they're not getting resupplied by Lincoln and they are out of food and ammunition, they wind up surrendering. So now uh, a federal fort has fallen into the hands of the Confederacy or the Confederates have kicked the, the you know, federal troops out of their beautiful homeland. So it all depends on which angle you want to take with these guys. Right. So... Um, Davis then moves his government to Richmond, Virginia, the now capital of the Confederacy. Which I just, I just think it's hilarious that the two countries decided to have their capitals within a two-hour drive of each other. You know, like obviously it's a modern two-hour drive, but just the fact that they both wanted to be in Virginia, Virginia really is. Um, I there's got to be some draw to it or something, man. That seems to it's be for like, lovers, man. Come, <laughs> Come on. on.
1: <laughs> I, I, I've seen the bumper stickers, and a, they had absolutely. to be around back then.
2: It's true, <laughs> <laughs> buggy stickers. Um, but yeah, so they, they wind up. They both have um, their uh, their capitals are both there. Now I thought this was interesting. Yeah,
0: now too with uh, with the firing on Fort Sumter, um, the whole Confederacy has not yet been formed. There was only a few states that have seceded from the Union, and then you know Lincoln is still trying desperately to. Uh, amend things here and let's not let's not go to a shooting war but once they fire on fort sumter then lincoln calls for seventy five thousand volunteers to um put down the the secession to this this rebellion if you will and then that just infuriates the remaining southern states that would then form the
2: confederacy because those are the people that they can now spin the well the federal troops are coming down here right and what are they going to be the the by the way, the population numbers at the time, I, I looked this up. I thought it was cool. The South had about 9 million people uh, total. The North had 21 million people. Uh, the North was almost totally white at the time. Uh, and then the South had, uh, of the 9 million, they did not want to allow um, uh, blacks to serve in the military. And uh, until the very dying days of the Confederacy, they didn't even allow it. Um, but I did think it was interesting that if you go down by that, now there's only 2 million uh, you know men that are considered able-bodied able-bodied right. you know for to, to fight in the war military year. age so not really going in with great numbers to begin with but uh i will say this though um i did think it was interesting as well that they have the really great generals down there because these people you know guys like robert e lee want it, you know they can't go against virginia again something about virginia mike you're right but uh it's a little bit wild to me that uh, the South has these superior generals, but the significantly smaller fighting force. And the North, like we said at this time, who are the people that are getting sent down there, dead from the North? All right, you got uh you know, the, there are the the Pennsylvania farm boys and the uh, you know the, the coal miners and stuff like that getting sent down there. There's the uh, the big city guys that are coming down, the cops, the firemen. Uh, but a big, big portion of this Union Army is going to be of uh, of what persuasion? Immigrants and the
0: mm-hmm. p- predominant immigrant wave at the time is Irish and German. I hear you. So who were considered just like a half a step above the black
2: slaves of the South. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, uh, so <laughs> it's almost funny. The old political cartoons, though, when they show the uh, the Irish and they're always the they have the, uh, the, the neck beard going mm-hmm. on and everything. It, it's pretty funny stuff. But um, and the ape-like features, yeah, definitely. Uh, and and there and by the way, uh, once you've been to Ireland, you realize that those portrayals are completely accurate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, I dated a girl from Ireland once. I learned my lesson. She so. had the the neck beard. That's <laughs> a <laughs> yeah. We can't both have a rash. Um, but uh, like we were saying, um, so now we understand. Everybody knows that the South loses the war. But uh, I just real quick, I wanted to speak about something here. Um, Dad, what are the reasons that they're losing the war, really? Because we talk about it, it's agricultural versus industrial, but you also learned a bunch of shit about their infrastructure.
0: Well, they had no real infrastructure that uh, – I mean the the north was certainly more industrial than the south. But the north is still predominantly in a, an agricultural base. But at least in the north, they had some railroads, which was the, like the, the leading technology for transporting goods and material and men where the south although they did have some railroads they weren't really interconnected they were um more locally serving kind of a thing that to the southern point of view what we really need to do is to get this cotton or this tobacco to um to port so you had a lot of little narrow gauge short-run railroads privately owned railroads kind of a thing there was no national railroad at the time um, so, it really made, made it difficult to transport things across the entire Confederacy, if you mm-hmm. will, that you were constantly unloading, loading, unloading this locomotive, that locomotive, that kind of thing. So, it became very difficult um, for moving materials, and that was certainly part of it. Um, they didn't have some of the other leading technologies to the same degree the North did as far as telegraph, so communications was uh, were, were also limited. Um, manufacturing of goods was was
2: extremely limited. And there's also a guy by the name of Samuel Colt that's living up north at the time that winds up. Uh,
0: yeah, he uh, he invents some 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 new things. technologies yeah. that that help help them out. And uh, and one of the first things that that Lincoln uh, calls for is a blockade of southern ports so that they weren't going to be able to import stuff from. Uh, other foreign countries like England and France, kind and of a the thing. And, Confederacy you know, has and, a and very limited navy. Yeah, very limited. A very, but so does the so do the Federals at the time. But a lot of the major shipyards at the time are still in the North. Mm-hmm. So, and when Lincoln calls for this blockade, he was initially like, "What are you kidding me? We have no navy. We're going to blockade all the Southern ports. That ain't never going to happen." But you know, through um, commandeering ships and uh, building new ships and stuff. That by the end of the by the end of the war, just about every every major southern port is now blockaded. So, you know the blockade runners helped out to sneak and stuff past the uh, the Union blockade. Uh, one but, of the
2: last strongholds too was a uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. Right, I walked on, around that fort down there. It's pretty cool.
0: And when Wilmington fell, that was the end of. Uh, well, Bobby
2: Lee's uh, major supply line for
0: any any outside help.
2: Well, another thing we talked about on the ride down was uh, – so Britain in 1830 uh, abolishes slavery, right? And then France, I don't know when they got rid of it, but they were never really big on it to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are two of the major European nations that the uh, Confederacy is reaching out to. Like, hey, come on. Give us a hand here. Help us out, you know. uh,
0: Plus, Britain had very strong um, financial ties to the south because cotton was – Imports, all sorts of stuff, yeah. Right. So a lot of the cotton was – that wasn't going to northern textile mills or going to English textile mills. So, you know, England definitely – although they frowned upon slavery within their own country, well, if that's what's really keeping your economy going down south, uh, you know, hey, whatever it takes.
2: But because of that, they weren't able to really establish uh, any sort. Of, the European nations never wanted to get involved. With them if they were kind of waiting and seeing to see what would happen here. That if uh, if Lee had won at Gettysburg, let's say, they probably would have potentially gotten involved just because there's so much money to be made off of it, and a little little revenge for that 1776 bullshit they pulled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, at least we get half the half the half of what we lost back. Yeah, but uh, I thought this was interesting. Here, these are some of Davis's biggest mistakes. Uh, he had poor troop management because he wanted uh, to run the. Um, the military affairs uh, pretty much from his office which as you said communications aren't really great here he had a reluctance to let robert e lee who's considered one of the most brilliant military minds of the time he was reluctant to let him run the operation himself he had no european support no public support either davis almost never appeared in public he was never given speeches he was never rallying people lincoln was at least a very very outstanding public speaker and created a sense of nationalism and that we're we're doing the lord's work here and stuff like that and davis winds up becoming so hated by his own generals and his own populace that there's a quote, I believe, from Beauregard saying, if Jefferson Davis was to drop dead right now, the entire South would rejoice. So not really great for your first president.
0: Yeah, he wasn't a real popular guy uh, with the Confederate Congress or um, their representatives. No, he was a one percenter, man. He was going to be the main show. And as you say, he was trying to micromanage everybody else's business. And actually, Bobby Lee, Robert E. Lee, didn't really come into the the forefront um, until afterwards, because he had his own his own favorites. Uh, Albert Sidney Johnston was uh, one of them, but unfortunately, uh, Mister Johnston uh, died in the uh, the first day of uh, of Shiloh and out west in uh, in Tennessee. But that was a, another.
2: Uh, Another topic for future. He also liked, uh, if you had to come up with a name for a comic book villain, Mike Zapsick, uh, tell me this guy isn't the perfect name for just a douchebag. Braxton Bragg. Yeah.
1: Hell yeah. Alliterative and <laughs> just
2: scream scumbag. You know, Braxton he is Bragg. A, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bragger. Yeah, he is a, he's not a very uh, sympathetic figure here, but uh, that was one of his favorites, and he was always... Uh, there'd be like beefs That he wouldn't settle And stuff like that Braxton Bragg Was not a
0: very good uh, Military nope, mind He fucked up a lot Yeah and, and arrogant And his
2: own subordinates Hated him And He's the Ben McAdoo Of uh, his day So <laughs> um, Here's a cool quote I found uh, Comparing the two Lincoln was flexible Davis was rigid Lincoln wanted to win Davis wanted to be right Lincoln had a broad Strategic vision Of union goals Davis could never Enlarge his narrow view Lincoln searched For the right general Then let him fight the war Davis continually played favorites and interfered unduly with his generals, even with Robert E. Lee. Lincoln led his nation. Davis failed to rally the South. So we're skipping around a little bit here, but we got to get to the end of the story because that, that's where Davis gets the most fascinating. Um, and we're going to puncture a little hole in a great myth about him in a second. Um, Lee gets defeated at Gettysburg. All right. That's the high water mark of the Confederacy. Then within days... Ulysses S. Grant, who, what was his nickname, Dad? Unconditional Surrender Grant. Yep. And we're going to uh, throw this uh, this little nugget back home for everybody. When Grant went to, Grant's real name is Hiram Ulysses Grant, okay? Uh, so he changed his name to uh, Ulysses Hiram Grant when he went to West Point. Because at West Point, they would take your uh, you know, your initials, your, you know, uh, mine, Kevin Patrick Burke, so they would write KPB on the side of my cadet jacket. And he did not want to be Hiram Ulysses Grant because he didn't want his jacket to say hug on it. Okay. So he changed it to uh, uh, Ulysses Hiram Grant. But then because the military is very good at what they do, they fucked up and gave him an S for no reason. So he became Ulysses S. Grant. And then the joke became U.S. stood for US unconditional surrender. Unconditional surrender. Now, he was – he was. I mean, he was a badass dude, Grant. So, uh, well,
0: he kept coming at you. I mean, we can talk about that. But, I mean, Lincoln finally found Grant. Um, as a general, because the 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 Union went through a whole bunch of generals that really just screwed up one right after the other that they would they would go down and start a campaign and get the shit kicked out of them and then go home with their tail between their legs when finally, with Grant, he had some victories in the West, and a lot of people were um criticizing grant and the way he handled things and the, and the amount of losses and lincoln's comment was well yeah but at least he fights and he keeps coming and it's really once he became part of the oh, the controller of the entire union army and went against bobby lee um he he got the shit kicked out of him time again time after time uh, at uh um at the wilderness uh Spotsylvania, uh time and again, but he rather than retreating all the way back north again and try again next year, he just would march a little a little east and then south and try to come around or Wait west and minute. then south.
2: Wasn't Grant a bit of a booze bag? <laughs> well, that was so uh, you mean he, he's willing to stay entrenched in bourbon country death. is that
0: what, <laughs> are we figuring out some shit here? <laughs> well now you're going you' you're skipping a couple of a couple of years. Sorry, I'm, I'm in too, Alex Jones though. mode right now so. <laughs> yeah,
2: all right. Uh, Anyhow, we we digressed. So, but uh, now Lee gets defeated at Gettysburg. And to your point, by the way, uh, Robert E. Meade. I'm sorry, uh, George Meade. George, yeah, George Meade is the head of the Army of the Potomac uh, for the Battle of uh, Gettysburg.
0: Yeah, he was only in in that position for like
2: seven days yeah. before the battle. He wins of Gettysburg. the biggest battle the entire Civil War, then gets fired a couple of days later, and then they put Grant in. So, uh, thought that was interesting. Now, this was a. Uh, he
0: didn't really get fired though. Well, Lincoln went
2: after him because he didn't pursue the South. Well, he didn't pursue
0: him. But he was still the general of the Army of Potomac, which met the Army of Northern Virginia, which was General Lee, the Confederacy, at Gettysburg. And he finally finds this guy that can defeat um, Robert E. Lee. And he, was, he maintained his leadership of the Army of the Potomac. But then Grant also wins out west. And then Lincoln puts Grant in charge of the entire army. So it's Grant. Then Meade is under Grant, kind of a thing. So um, Meade now has a uh, a superior
2: officer over him in the in the fact of Grant. But and Grant's got a, a guy by the name of uh, William Tecumseh Sherman that he's pretty tight with. Yeah. Um, by the way, real quick, listeners, we are on bonus time right now. So uh, Mike, I want to say thank you. We're going to keep going. I know, dude, I know, but we appreciate it, and it's a. Uh, you guys are incredibly good to us. So if you're going to start a podcast, start it at a shared universe. All right, <laughs> little plug for you guys there. Right. Wow, way to throw that.
1: in. You're like, ah, you know what? I got can. No, no, no. You kidding? This
2: is fascinating. I love this. Just keep going. Ah, oh, you're the best, man. <laughs> um, so now this is a, this is the part where it's going to get a little crazier. Lee gets defeated at Gettysburg. Grant then breaks the siege at Vic, uh, Vicksburg en route to Richmond. So now Grant unconditional surrender. Grant, who's this? You know, a badass dude is coming for you. He's descending upon Richmond. Davis and his family and the entire Confederate cabinet escape as Richmond is about to fall. Uh, Davis escapes on, and uh, this is the part no, where... You, you you jumped there, bud. We had, okay, we're, you went, we're in bonus time, You were
0: Grant on, in Grant in Vicksburg. Yeah, he captures Vicksburg. Meade defeats Lee at Gettysburg in the Eastern Campaign kind of a thing. But then you went immediately to um, capture in Richmond. Well, because we're not telling the story of the Civil War. I we're,
2: think you were... You're confusing Vicksburg with Petersburg, but anyhow. But we're not telling the story of the Civil are War. right now. <laughs> <laughs> we're not telling the the story of the Civil War. We're telling the story of Jefferson Davis. Here. Right. So the next part of the story for him is that he it, there's this huge fuck up because the Confederacy is now largely broken after Gettysburg. It's considered the high water mark for them. Right. Um, Things are not going well from the from the South here. Correct. in. And now Richmond is becoming that um, that the, the federal troops are coming. All right. And uh, they wind up having to escape. I thought this was interesting. Uh, they escaped on uh, the Danville train. Have you ever heard of the Danville train? <laughs> yeah, well, there was a, a song written. Go ahead. Yep. Uh, the band uh, from The Last Waltz, uh, my favorite song, The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down. The opening line is, Virgil Cain is the name, and I served on the Danville train. Right. And it's about them watching the Confederacy fall. So, um, by the way, this is how fast this one happens. Lincoln is now, because first of all, we left out one detail here. Um, the Confederacy is almost like um, – they almost cloned the United States and just – they had a president, they had cabinets, they had Congress, they had a capital. What do you think they called the capital of the Confederacy? The White House. Yep. That's it. No, no the more. White House. Yep. got yeah. a chance for a do-over and they're like, no, nah, we'll just do that. Yeah, that's it's cool. It's like uh, when we copied British Navy tradition because we've pretty much ripped them off Well, completely. you're going to go with what you know, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a little vanilla ice to this. But uh, – what winds up happening is uh they have the uh the southern um, uh the confederacy has their white house in richmond that's where the uh, the davis family lives um, thought this was interesting one of the uh the child the kids playmates if you will of the, the davis children uh, was a guy by the name of uh patton whose uh son would go on to be you know world war two Patton. Mm-hmm. battle george World war one and two yeah the uh, the most badass dude in american history pretty much um but uh anyway so as the uh as the Union troops are coming in here within 40 hours of Richmond falling. Guess who's standing in the office of the, uh, the Confederate White House? Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. Yep. So he comes in there, man. Um, Davis is made aware of Lee's intentions. Lee now has pretty much decided he has to surrender the Army of Northern Virginia, which, as you pointed out to me, they're not all from Northern Virginia. There's boys from Texas in that army. Yeah, so. from, all, from all the Confederate states. Well, not for nothing too. You went down to um, – recently, within the last 96 hours, you were at Appomattox Courthouse, yeah. which is the formal site of the surrender of Lee to Grant at Appomattox Courthouse. And um, I remember when I was there years ago, I asked a question to one of the tour guides. I said, so if this was the surrender of the Army of Northern Virginia, when did the rest of the Confederacy uh, surrender? And the tour guide goes – well, that depends who you talk to around here. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's still going on in some parts of the country. In their but, minds, anyhow. Well, yeah. there's. I mean, I growing up, I knew kids that uh, had off. Um, not growing up, but I, I knew people from the military that had off for Jefferson Davis's birthday, Robert E. Lee's birthday. Um, in Jacksonville, where I was stationed, there was a Nathan Bedford Forest High School. And you're like, the guy who created the Klan has a high school named after him? Right. This isn't good. That's a little more nostalgia in the park. Yeah, that's a that's a bit of an fu if I ever heard one. Um, but now, uh, here's where it gets uh, here's where it gets wild pretty fast. So, um, Davis is made aware of these intentions uh, that they're going to surrender the Army of Northern Virginia to Grant, and plans are made to possibly escape to yet again Havana. Havana seems to be the uh, the etch a sketch you know button of uh, his life, if you will. But. Uh, they're going to you know, kind of get everybody uh, together over there and they're going to regroup the confederacy. Uh, Lee refused Davis's plans in order to enter what they would call a guerrilla warfare campaign. Lee wasn't really having
0: it. Yeah, Davis was all about continuing the fight although he might have to sur- you know Davis did not want Lee to surrender. He just wanted to, to to scatter the troops into the into the hills and mountains kind of a thing and continue on as, as a guerrilla
2: war. Josie Wales on him? Yeah doesn't work out that way. Lee surrenders on April 14th. I didn't realize this until we researched this one as well. I knew it was close. I didn't realize it was within 48 hours of Lee surrendering at Appomattox that Lincoln gets shot in the head two days later by John Wilkes Booth. Right. That's wild, man. Yeah, I mean
0: the the surrender at Appomattox um, was kind of like the model of – the way Lincoln envisioned bringing the the confederacy back into the union yes that there was going to be um no um punishment if you will and and just welcome them back as uh as full full first-class citizens kind of a thing um actually that was all discussed between Lincoln Grant um Sherman who's fighting his own campaign down in the Carolinas and uh uh, I forget the name. When you of the say act. fighting
2: with Sherman, it's burning. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. Uh,
0: well, there was still some fighting going on there. There because was. He burns Atlanta, though. By Joe the way. Johnston is going against. Uh, last minute was called into the into the play to uh, try to stop um, Sherman. But anyhow, there one of the admirals in the in the Navy, and Lincoln pointed out that you know things are looking really bad. It's only a matter of time before the Confederacy has to give up. Um, but he didn't want anybody to uh, punish them. The, the, you know, the, only, the quickest way of healing this nation is to welcome them back and not try to punish them. Um, right. And that's one of the reasons why things went as they did at Appomattox is that Grant offered the surrendering uh, army of northern Virginia that um, the officers could keep their sidearms and the uh, anybody who had their own horse there, they, they could go home with their own horse. And they were all issued pardons, if you will, that they could then go back through the rest of the union lines. Because if you're in northern Virginia right now or southern Virginia when you're surrendering and your home state is Texas, well, you've got a long way to go before you can get <laughs> get back there. And you got to go through all these federal lines that are now holding on to parts of uh, – Mississippi and Tennessee and everything else. So um, that was welcomed to kind of a thing. And things were looking really pretty smooth with that, that the reconstruction period of the, of the, the healing process was going to go a lot better if we forgive rather than try to punish. But then two days later, Lincoln gets assassinated
2: by Booth in uh, in Ford's theater. and Yet another uh, – by the way, John Wilkes Booth, yet another actor trying to get involved in politics, Okay, Just stay out of it, Clooney. (laughs) So unfortunately, you're right. Uh, uh, Johnson came down way harder on the South and way harder on the Confederacy now. And even uh, our boy Jefferson Davis himself had said he expressed remorse for the death of Lincoln and felt that uh, Lincoln was going to be a little bit more – fair and, uh, and welcoming, like you said. So now, uh, in order to prove that point right almost immediately, uh, new president Andrew Johnson uh, orders a $100,000 in 1860s money bounty on Davis and accused him of being the one who ordered Booth's actions, that Booth was acting as a, yeah, an they, agent of the Confederacy. They felt that uh, this was a Jeff Davis plot to, uh, to kill Lincoln. So... Now May fifth, eighteen sixty five, marks the final meeting of Davis and the Confederate cabinet. They disbanded the entire uh, like they pretty much got rid of the entire Confederate government. It, um, I wonder how that meeting went. By the way, hey guys, remember that nation we created? I'm not really feeling it. Um, let's move on here. Let's we gotta do, do the
0: skedaddle because the Union boys are at the gates. And uh, but another parallel to that too was. You know, our own United States had to evacuate Washington D.C. when the British came in in 1812. Very true. So, you know, there's not a whole lot of difference between the
2: between the two. It's always fun too, because there's a couple of times that happens in uh, American history, and a couple of times with the Confederates that um, the Capitol changes to become another building or another. So it's like the uh, you know the the Packer House or whatever in you know Baltimore, so becomes the uh, the head of you know. The, it's always weird because we have these um these little uh. Patchwork capitals, sometimes we come up with. But uh, now Davis and his family finally wind up getting captured. All right. There's this whole brave effort they're trying to get out to um, the idea was that they were gonna get to the Florida Keys. Okay? And, uh,
0: well I think what they were trying to do is they Lee surrendered, but that wasn't the end of the hostilities. Oh, there the was war's still going on. Yeah. There's still other armies of the Confederacy scattered around. That uh, had not yet surrendered. But keep so, in mind, they've already disbanded the government at this point. Yeah, so there, they disbanded no, the government yeah. and tried to move that further inland to uh, to
2: escape the the Yankee uh, invasion. If so, you will. if you're still fighting for the Confederacy at this point, you are literally a man without a country. Right. So, um, the point I wanted to make real quickly here, and we are wrapping up on it. It's. Uh, um, Davis and his family get captured during their final escape by Union forces. They're captured in uh, Irwin County, Georgia. All right. Shout out to my buddy Daryl Tate from the USS Kearney. He lives down there. Um, But when he got sick and his wife died, uh, he recovered, but he was always kind of an ill man after that. We talked about that a little bit. Yeah,
0: he was kind of – he was not a a real um, healthy guy and all of his pictures – his photographs, he's got kind of like a, a sour face on him, but I think that's probably because he was in in such pain from, or not feeling real real good, all. or or he was president of a
2: country that didn't exist. Yeah, he didn't have a. He wasn't a happy go lucky kind of a guy. <laughs> so uh, now, due to his uh, routine sickness that always persisted throughout his life, Davis was captured in the rain when he was captured wearing a large raincoat, like a poncho type looking thing, and his wife, uh, Verena, who. Uh, doted on him pretty, you know, uh, loyally, I should say, had given uh, him her shawl in order to cover his head. Now, this leads to one of the funniest parts of the whole story is that uh, there's this is completely an exaggerated report here. It's been debunked. But the uh, rumor at the time was that Jefferson Davis was captured uh, wearing women's clothing. That yeah. Again, now, Link,
0: to put it into the Times, Lincoln was has been assassinated. People are outraged that, you know, our president, our First time in a, a, an American president has been assassinated, and it's Lincoln, and uh, you know people are outraged, really pissed off at the South. Now, not only have you you know caused so many lives to be taken, but now you're killing our president or assassinating our president, which is certainly a dis dishonorable kind of a thing. <laughs> and when they finally do capture President Davis, who is trying to escape. Um, it's reported that he was in women's clothing, that he was wearing his wife's dress and his wife's clothing kind of a thing trying to slip past the Federals. Well, the, fe- the, f- the federal uh, troops had surprised him and he- he's telling it later, though. Well, I just grabbed the first thing I could find to try to make the skedaddle kind of a thing out of well, it. That explains that, but
2: why'd you shave your legs too? <laughs> right. I like the way right. it feels. And the
0: hairstyle <laughs> um, and shave the, the chin beard. Um but no, that was uh, that was, like you say, was really a, a popular uh, fake news, if you will, <laughs> <laughs> who, uh, that he was in his woman's dress. But even Stanton, the uh, the Secretary of War, um, it was a uh, Giancarlo Stanton. Right? Said, uh, <laughs> no, not the Yankees. That it's a different Yankee Stanton. But the Secretary <laughs> of War, Stanton, had a um, a dummy or a dressmaker's dummy kind of a thing. Set up as a as a prop in the in the in Washington with a woman's dress and this uh, overcoat and shawl, and had photographs taken of it, and then all of these photographs and then distributed to various northern newspapers, so that um, their illustrators could create the engravings of the <laughs> the clothing that Jeff Davis was captured in. It was all it was all B.S. But it's, uh, it's good BS, yeah, though. Right. There,
2: there's a guy at work, and I know this is a little rude to say, but there's a guy at work uh, who is. Um, we literally call him Gay Ryan because there's two Ryans. And this guy's like, he, he's a very aggressive, angry guy, and he's very. Um, he can be very rude sometimes. So just. It's not – they're not using gay as a pejorative, but it's just that the fact that this guy's so insecure about that that they call him gay. Get, get, get out of here with that shit. <laughs> so we just – we call him that because it spins him up. So they probably did this just to fuck with Jefferson Davis a little bit.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that anything to humiliate uh, Jeff Davis who has been accused of um, formulating the plot to assassinate Lincoln. I mean it, it's just it's, – Yeah, and just they, they
2: paint him too as a pencil neck geek kind of a thing that he's not really um, – that they're ignoring the fact that he was a Mexican uh, uh, war hero. Right. Right. Um, now, Davis is in prison for two years, by the way. He's not allowed any visitors. He's also not allowed any books other than the Bible. And I don't know if you've read the Bible, Dad, but, I mean, it's like a Tarantino movie. At one point, there's four people telling you the same story from different vantage points. It's, it's a good book. It's solid, but <laughs> not enough for two years' worth, I think. Um, not allowed visitors. Uh, he does get correspondence, however, from uh, the pope. The pope is writing reaching out to Jefferson Davis, which is interesting because Davis was a Protestant. Right. So now the, the Catholic wizard in you know, the Vatican, if you will, is going to reach out to uh, the guy who was the head of the Confederacy. Um, now, Verena and their youngest daughter, Winnie, by the way, Winnie was born during the Civil War. So she's actually literally known as the daughter of the Confederacy. Yeah, she grew up in the Confederate White House. Mm-hmm. And I still find it funny that the first lady of the Confederacy is a chick from Jersey, but um, just always going to make me laugh. Um, no, she's not from Jersey, but her family. Jersey lineage, come yeah, right. on, it, it's right. a disease. Once yeah. it gets in it's you.
0: It's right in your bloodline. Right.
2: <laughs> but uh, now uh, they were able to move into an apartment uh, inside the prison that was holding Davis. So they're together as a family here. Davis is gravely ill most of his early stay in prison. Now, President Johnson wanted Davis hung for treason, but realized that there was a good chance that Davis may have a strong case for his own innocence because there's this like kind of contrast between... Uh, secession and treason constitutional law might prove Davis right. was justified and in Davis, seceding Davis wants to go to court because he thinks he can beat this thing so what they now have to do is the government starts delaying the case and then delaying and delaying we'll let him keep rotting in prison a little bit longer and I think
0: what also is factoring is Johnson and President Johnson himself is uh, <laughs> um, people are going after him and they want to impeach Johnson so there's a lot of different uh, a lot of different factions at work here that you know, if we bring this guy to trial and he proves himself uh, justified in seceding from the Union, how's that going to make me look plus so people want to impeach me besides? a yeah, so.
2: little thing called a reconstruction going on in the United yeah. States at the time, too. So uh, what they wind up doing, they're afraid that if they come down too hard on Jefferson Davis, that uh, there's a chance that it, you could have a, an insurrection in the South again. Don't give them a martyr. You know, that seems to be the big thing in history. We talk about that a lot, too. You give somebody a martyr, then they feel justified in, you know, uh, aggression. But uh, anyway, what winds up happening is the government continues to delay the case until uh, finally Davis is pardoned on Christmas Day. You want to talk about a gift right there, yeah. man? That's not bad. December 25th. Yeah, 1868. Um, Davis is set free and takes the family up to Canada and then later to Europe for a time, which sounds like it's a good time. You're just kind of living abroad or whatever, but Davis remains in dire financial straits for the remainder of his life. So – he kind of had a, a cool way of taking charity, too. He wouldn't accept charity himself. But he would say, but if you want to donate to uh, my cause or my charities that I'm a part of, then you can – yeah, that's how he's going to accept your money. But um, like we said, uh, so now he's got the birthplace memorial over in Kentucky, that giant rod in the ground, if you will. Um, then uh, – now, I thought this was interesting, too. He keeps quiet for most of his later public life. Uh, that He's kind of a recluse. But – he takes out a full page article in a newspaper one time to go after, uh, William Tecumseh Sherman, who was one of the, the generals he was going against in the civil uh, who was, you know, fighting for um, the union, I should say. Uh, he has some comments about, uh, Jefferson Davis, Jefferson doesn't really like, and then there's another certain surly New York politician, uh, that uh, starting to make a name for himself around this time that, uh, decides to call Jefferson Davis a Benedict Arnold of sorts. And, uh, so Davis doesn't really take that too well, you know who called him that? Yeah. One wild guess. Mike, I know you're not a regular on the show, but we I'd say, was it Teddy Roosevelt? You know it.
1: <laughs> of course it's Teddy Roosevelt. I love Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt, my favorite, and uh, I'm sorry, he, he is my favorite of our presidents. I mean, you got to love Lincoln, got to love Washington, but Teddy Roosevelt, the he shouldn't be dead right now I right, mean right. It, nope I would death, agree
0: with death snuck a up on him talk the talk but it would also walk the walk that's uh, the
2: quote because uh, death had to come for him at night because he had come during the day there would have been a fight <laughs> so um, no TR is just I, I think he's at I I think the universe. uh, If America was a universe, it all revolves around him. That he's the. uh, Tell me when I'm making a bad reference here. I'm not as well versed in comics as you, Mike, but he is the. uh, He is the first Avenger. Okay, everything kind of goes around
1: him. Is you're absolutely right. I mean, the other guys who came before him, they were they were pretty good. I mean, you know, Lincoln. Lincoln did some shit, but Teddy, Teddy was the man. Teddy was in in the parlance. He was he was our Iron Man. Ooh, good one. All right. That's actually my favorite. Yeah. So (laughs) Teddy Iron Man Roosevelt. I (laughs) think that that was his unofficial nickname (laughs) as a child. Right.
2: Uh, We wanted to do at some point just a a full on TR episode. But it's hilarious because you can't use his Wikipedia because people add facts about him that aren't true. Uh, Roosevelt drank a gallon of coffee every day and pissed vinegar. <laughs>
1: yeah, right, right. Sir, this is—it's like Chuck Norris. Mm-hmm. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, you can there you go. He had asthma as a child, and his father would take him riding to get cold air into his lungs. I think that's the worst thing you can do for asthma. <laughs> yeah. But he beat it, and I mean, it's—he ripped out its still beating heart and ate asthma. <laughs> so.
0: <laughs>
2: Uh, that's the thing and then it's tough too because then when you read about him you can't tell the shit that he actually did do you're like nah that sounds a little there's no way he got shot and then finished the speech (laughs) no way actually he he smacked the guy on top of the head didn't he Uh, I think so because there's another one too that uh, Andrew Jackson actually um, assaulted his own would-be assassin with a cane well Andrew Jackson um, was
1: also (laughs) he was the prototype Teddy Roosevelt (laughs) because if there was one thing that he liked he was release, release one Exactly He, he was The was, uh, thing he liked doing better than being president Was dueling so. <laughs>
2: uh, He was big on it, yeah. it was, uh, At some point you just got to realize You're just not going to win against this guy Yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> um, Now uh, as we quickly here, I want to talk about one thing before we roll out And again thank you for your patience Mike. Um, He had issues with William Tecumseh Sherman Like we said He had uh, issues with Teddy Roosevelt a little bit He actually legitimately wrote the book On the Confederacy it wound up selling well in later life, but um, it didn't sell well at the time. Um, but writing is also a big part of this, so he becomes an author. But Verena Howell, his wife, also becomes an author. And then his daughter, Winnie, also winds up writing as well. And they form this thing called the Daughters of the Confederacy. Now, we were talking about, too, that there, there's a spin move that the Confederates put on. Um, it's known as the, the, the myth of the lost cause. Okay, and it's where this... Um, Camelot-like thing of the uh, you know the, the Confederates as uh, knights in shining armor trying to defend chivalry and honor and everything. Valor. Yeah. Right. So it's a spin move that they're putting on it to soften the blow of, of – let's be honest. that The root cause of this war was slavery. That was the whole thing. You can say it's states' rights, but what were the states' rights? What were you arguing over? Right. It wasn't taxes. It was friggin – you're going to eliminate uh, private property. Whatever spin you want to put on it, and it comes down to slavery. So – um, did you have anything on the doors of the Confederacy before we get out of here?
0: No, it's just that uh, you know he, he writes this uh, history of the Confederacy kind of a thing. Actually, his wife, uh, Verena, helps complete that because he dies be, uh, with many of the writings. But in post-Civil War Reconstruction era, a lot of former generals and. Uh, um, The women were very strong with that as far as memorializing the Confederate dead, moving their graves, forming the Hollywood Cemetery in Richmond, where a lot of the Confederate dead were later interned. Um, And, you know, to have the uh, Southerners go on in this whole defeatist kind of an attitude type of a thing that they start writing and really fantasizing about what this whole civil war was fought over that it was a defender of states' rights and valor It's like when you try to build
2: up a kid's self-esteem but then he gets too cocky. <laughs> right. Um, and all different spins were
0: putting on this and that's um, there's a uh, uh, it's big and uh women's suffrage is is also coming into play here so a lot of these uh southern ladies are are writing and demanding that uh, statues be put up that uh um uh, history books are written in a more favorable light to the to the southern cause um this whole idea of the war of northern aggression that uh you know never mind the facts we can make our own facts kind of a thing and if you Tell that story over and over and over again. Eventually, people are going to start to to believe it that you know the war of northern aggression that the, the civil war was be, was started because northern troops came down into the, uh, the southern states to uh, to punish them, type of
2: a thing. Uh, you know, and it was again it, in the south. It's known as the war of northern aggression in some parts.
0: But that 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 phrase was actually coined post <laughs> post Civil War. Um, with uh, these various women and and Jeff Davis himself, um, uh, there was another general, uh, Southern General Yule, that was putting his whole spin on the thing. And um, Robert E. Lee was definitely um, loved by his by his troops. But now Lee is now being elevated to almost saint-like status, kind of a thing that he was the shining example. He was a religious guy, um, very moral guy, um, and although he was a slaveholder, um, you know, he wasn't the image of uh, a benevolent slaveholder, if the, if you can fathom that. <laughs> that you know, we were just caring for them. They were we were giving them uh, religion. We're teaching them. Christian faith-based values and civilizing uh, an uncivilized people type of a thing that in this whole genre. And then there was a uh, – By contrast,
2: I'm, by the way, just – I want you to finish, but just by contrast, um, I thought it was very funny that Stonewall Jackson, one of the most feared generals of the Confederacy that uh, up north when kids were misbehaving, uh, their parents would tell them, uh, if you don't start getting right, Stonewall's going to come for you at night.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Um, there's a novelist by the name of Thomas uh, Dixon Jr. who starts writing novels promoting this whole lost lost cause kind of a, a genre, and he was the one that um, um, really starts turning people's mindset as to the whole to the whole thing that, that yeah maybe this was a, a noble cause that we knew we were going to lose. Right from the get go, because of the overwhelming numbers and the industrial might of the North and everything else, but we were fighting to to preserve our our women and our homeland and our way of life, type of a thing. That uh, never mind that our way of life is based on enslaving somebody else, (laughs) you know. But uh, um, and that whole thing is then taken. I mean, the high point of the of the of the Ku Klux Klan happened in the late 1890s,
2: early 1900s. By the way, headed Um, up by uh, former Confederate General Nathan Bedford Forrest, the the hero of the massacre at Fort Pillow. Right, the the guy. What a fucking
0: asshole! The guy that was killing uh, um, black troops that had already surrendered, and they Mm -hmm. were they were killing them anyhow. Um, But any yeah, there's there's the. Uh, Griffith movie um, Birth of a Nation that's coming out now with uh, Woodrow Wilson's administration. Actually that film was shown in the White House um, It it was
2: considered a modern marvel though at the time There's a little
0: caveat um, to it. With all these uh, uh, Dixon novels coming out very very popular and even even right up into the 1930s with uh, Gone with the Wind I mean Gone with the Wind, great movie but you know Totally fact-based, and not so much. I mean, that was uh, there was a, the benevolent slaveholder kind of a thing that we were taking care of our uh, our darkies kind of a thing, and rather than you know, giving them religion and um, providing for them, uh, and uh,
2: it's definitely a soft
0: version, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't bullwhips and, uh, and and chains kind of a thing. It was yeah, and not showing you the beatings that they got if they learned how to read or write. Right. So, yeah. Right. Or, or killed, killed outright because uh, somebody thought you. There had is to
2: one read. accurate part though that movie you were telling me about that uh, we found this out that some of the uh, the blockade runners, if you will, for when the, the the blockades were in the ports for the Union ships were not allowing the Confederates to come. Uh, you'd think that the guys who were successful, you know, breaking through those lines would be bringing over weapons, munitions, uniforms, food, anything like that to help resupply the poor boys of the Confederacy that are just trying to defend their homeland. But no, it was like a 1%, 2% kind of a thing where the upper echelon was making sure that they got like their goods from Europe, you know, like a right. you know new curtains or something like that for the bedroom. Thank God.
0: <laughs> we're, right. we're able to get... The latest fashion, ladies' fashions
2: kind of a thing. Yeah. That I does. saw it in the window and I just had to have it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. 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 Um, now, off. Uh, did you have anything else before we wrap? Because I want to say we haven't even explained how he dies yet.
0: Yeah, we're we're really going along on this one, it's but all, uh, it's uh, um, it's to make sure Mike never wants to come back on the show. That's absolutely <laughs> not true. Are you kidding? This is great. Um, no, nah, you know we, we can uh, we can start to wrap this up. I might have a couple of things that we'll no throw
2: at. Here's what, at what I'm going to wrap up with we're so at Davis you. dies on December 8th, 1889. All right, December 8th, Carrie's birthday, by the way, my sister Carrie, um, and. Uh, He succumbs to an illness that kind of befell him a few days earlier. He died holding Verena's hand and his funeral in New Orleans was one of the largest attended in the history of the United States. Um, So when he dies, that's uh, another whole thing where – it's weird. All you have to do is die and people are willing to let a lot of shit slide. You ever notice that?
0: Yeah, and I I think this whole lost cause uh, myth, if you will – um, also painted Davis in an entirely different picture that he was put he up. He regained as one a little of bit the, of the
2: popularity. Right, right. I had.
0: mean, a guy that was hated while he was president, now in later life, that uh, when people start to call it what you will, a revisionist history or a history based not based on fact but just made up facts, kind of a thing, uh, that he's put he's painted in a different light, totally uh, than when he was during his actual presidency.
2: Well, uh, get this. Davis's citizenship is restored. Um, Robert E. Lee's citizenship, there it is, that's the word. Um, His gets restored uh, before um, Jefferson Davis. Davis is uh, is held off on because they're still, depending on who was involved with it, there's a little tinge of some politics behind the scenes.
0: Yeah, I think there was an admiration to Robert E. Lee because he was absolutely a great general and Mm -hmm. a, a lot of people admired that. And I will Just not stand the way, against
2: Virginia. That's and it, the, way, it, the, the way he handled
0: himself. Yeah, yeah, the way he handled himself because he was actually offered the the uh, a union generalship at the start of hostilities kind of a thing. Couldn't that, stand against Virginia. But he wouldn't – he had to resign from the union army because he was
2: an army. He was a career army guy. Um, and Stonewall was the head of West Point at the time yeah. or a professor at least I should right. say. Yeah, but, right, right. Um, thought this was interesting too so he winds up getting davis's citizenship is restored in 1978 by president jimmy carter all right carter makes good on where was jimmy carter from kev uh georgia (laughs) peanut farmer um but uh yeah that is um we we covered a lot here it was a big big topic um it was ambitious We, we potentially should have released it as two episodes but um we didn't want to do that here um but that's what happens here if you look at jefferson davis's life he's a u.s war hero uh then a uh, U.S. Secretary of War. Uh, congressman. Uh, yeah, Congressman. Senator. senator. Husband. Right. <laughs> uh, president of a failed cause. And then a prisoner of war, one might call him. Right? And then mm-hmm. uh, uh, then an author later. And he had a pretty up and down, back and forth life. And... Uh, the one footnote in the history books about him, the one line you get is that uh, when Jefferson Davis was captured, he's believed to have been dressed as a woman. All right? That's the only thing they're going to tell you in the history books about this one, man. So we wanted to give a little bit more of the uh, the human uh, element of the story and then try to get into the zeitgeist like we try to do here. But at the end of the day, if uh, if your entire economy is based off of owning other people, you got to try to find a new economy. <laughs> But uh, do you have anything else, any other notes before we bail out on this nah, one? I think the, that pretty much covers All it right, got to say thank you so much to uh, uh, Mike and Ming from A Shared Universe for letting us do this here. Mike, thank you for being in studio, man. Oh, my God, it's, this is great. Are you kidding? What are you doing player. next Sunday? <laughs> 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 we only got a couple left till the Giants start ruining my life every Sunday.
1: All right, well, you know what? We'll figure out a, a time, and we'll grab Ming and, and do that topic
2: you want to I would do. love to, and I'm going to go ahead and say the topic here. We're going to tease this one. Uh, it is known as the Phantom Army of World War II. And uh, you guys are absolutely going to love this. Oh, my God. I want this. uh, It's pretty good, man. But uh, as always, guys, if you're a regular listener to the show, we love uh, having you guys. The support we have. We're over 15,000 listens total right now over on SoundCloud. It means a lot. Um, Our Edgar Allan Poe episode is now our first episode above 500 listens solo. All right. That's one of the great ones. Uh, If you haven't checked out uh, our, our boy... Dan Sickles. Dan Sickles. Dan Sickles is the premier episode of the show, I think. And this one's right up there with it. Dad, thank you so much for all the research you did on this one. Uh, To the kahuna, wherever you are out there, okay? I want you to eat, pray, and love. You will find your inner goddess and unleash her on the world, all right? We miss you, Christian. We miss you. Come back to the show, Christian. Oh, that's horrible. He's going (laughs) to
1: unleash his inner goddess? (laughs) That's that's a terrifying image in my head. <laughs> that's right. Holy
2: lord. I got to one time. Eye out. I got a, it, it was a, a funny complaint. It was a good complaint. It was a uh, one episode when he wasn't here. It was Ming. I said uh and uh is not here. He was gunned down in gang violence recently and someone goes, "Oh my god, is he okay?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> you you can't say that in in today's America. Yeah. <laughs> oh right. my god. Oh, we, we're back in this is so weird. There's so many things I wanted to say that I didn't jump in on. I'm like no, I can't do that either. But uh so many things history repeats itself, gentlemen. Over and over and over again. Constantly. It's yeah, it's just like technology, it's cyclical. So but thank you for for indulging me, and you guys are awesome.
2: No, dude, likewise. Thank you so much. Uh, and again, if you're if you're gonna do a podcast, man, check out a shared universe. There, it's it's so. Actually, I don't want a lot of people here. I take that back, guys. All right, if you want to do it, <laughs> do right, it yourself. Stay away. All right, stay out <laughs> of my right. backyard. <laughs> but uh, this has been great, guys. Check me out on uh, it's KP Burke sucks at Twitter and Instagram, KP Burke on Facebook, uh, American Loser Podcast on Instagram. Just check us out. Leave us a review on iTunes if you can. It really helps us out. I want to keep this shit free as long as I can. We got some premium stuff we're going to be working on. We're we're tinkering with all the stuff. I know I've been saying that for three months, but you guys know how lazy I am. So anyway, that being said, guys, that was Jefferson Davis, American Loser. An
0: American Loser the day I was born. An American Loser the day I was born. An American Loser the day I was born.